Welcome to Frontline Static, a podcast that helps bridge the gap between healthcare workers and first responders and everything in between. Hey, how's it going today? Hey, I am great. How are you? Good. I'm glad that we could meet up on your day off. I know you have a busy life, so I'm glad you could be on the podcast today. I'm happy it worked out too. I pretty much uh, just woke up, but you know, making the most of it. (laughs) All right. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what you do. Okay. So uh, I'm currently a flight paramedic and TFO for a uh, sheriff's office program. And what we do is we're a multi-use helicopter. Uh, We fly medevac, uh, law enforcement missions, uh, SAR, which is search and rescue. Uh, We do Bambi bucket firefighting. And we do, so basically pretty much everything uh, in all hazards uh, helicopter program. And the big majority of what we do is the um, law enforcement missions, probably almost 80% of our mission profile. And then in terms of the medevac side of things, we do mostly scene flights and we do uh, critical care transfers when the um, usual critical care transfer air assets that are in our area are busy. Um, We try not to do those as much because we're we're unique in the way that we are staffed a single provider. So it is just me in the back. So we can't do certain critical care flights that involve um, blood or certain uh, vasoactive drips or um, obviously IABP, things like that. Now, what about what state are you in? So I am in the state of Florida. Okay, and then how how does that work as far as uh, paramedics being able to do like sedatives and paralytics? Yeah, so that's very interesting in itself because I think in a lot of places it's very county and medical director dependent and a lot like California, paramedics here are certified in their uh, individual counties that are in their service area. So we have to go through a lot of medical director testing and uh, pretty much vetting process in order to work uh, our local area. Um, So our ground crews currently do not carry uh, paralytics. They do have sedatives. Uh, and they do have intubation equipment, it gets challenging because a lot of times they can't intubate the patients, um, especially the trauma ones without the paralytics, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's where we come in. We carry paralytics. Uh, We carry currently succinicoline and vecuronium. I prefer the vec. Uh, The hospitals don't because it lasts so long. Um, So they'll generally get sedatives going for me, which they carry ketamine, atomidate, Versed, uh, fentanyl, all the uh, standard ones. And then uh, I swoop in with paralytics and we get the uh, intubation going. Awesome. Okay. So you don't carry the sedation portion of it, just the paralytics? No, I carry the paralytics and I carry the same sedation, same uh, narc box that they have, which has the uh, ketamine versed. Uh, We also have Ativan, uh, Valium and uh, fentanyl. Okay. Awesome. That's really cool that you're able to do that. It is. Yeah. I, I wish one day the day could come where we could give blood. Um, but unfortunately, and I think it's actually a state of Florida thing where you need an RN on board to uh, Mm -hmm. infuse blood. And that's with a lot of states too. I can't think of too many other than like Texas, maybe where they let medics do blood yet, but it's nice to see that evolve. Yeah. It's always interesting, you know, how much they allow you to do, but yet still have limitations on it. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, our paramedics are just able in our county to start giving uh, paralytics, which is crazy. Right. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> we, 
really do we do the a lot of the same things we're trained the same way you know so yeah I, I I cannot imagine like there's so many medics that don't have paralytic capability and that's another thing that's evolving too and it's very medical director dependent and I think EMS is still it's in in its infancy stage um we're getting there catching up little by little yeah definitely and you mentioned like 80% of your calls were law enforcement. And can you tell me a little bit more about that? Of course. So <laughs> I wish I could say it was all those cool police chases that you'll see. And if you follow my agency on Facebook, uh, they will post uh, a lot of our car chases once they uh, clear evidence. And they are awesome to watch. Um, but we probably only, only, and I say only, but only get maybe five or six chases a month. And uh, they are fun. Uh, really, the bulk of your law enforcement work is... Uh, obviously, with the older population here in Florida, we have a lot of Alzheimer's patients, uh, people that will leave their house and suddenly just not come back, whether they walked out the door, drove somewhere. Uh, so they call them silver alerts in Florida, and it's activated sort of like an amber alert where uh, they'll activate everyone in that area to search for uh, this you know, elderly person who's missing. Uh, so we'll get the car ID, license ID, license plate ID, uh, description of them, and we will search that area pretty much until we run out of fuel. <laughs> and look for them. And the great thing in our county is we have uh, LPRs, license plate readers, at about 30 intersections. And uh, it's really amazing, uh, big brother technology when you think about it. But yeah. you go through this intersection, it scans your license plate, and we know exactly where you are all the time. Wow. So as long as you're in our county, in Volusia County, it's pretty hard to hide from us. <laughs> and we get the LPR hits in the aircraft uh, through our CAD, so we can generally locate the vehicles. Uh, a little harder when they're on foot, but we have uh, FLIR technology, which is heat seeking, and you can use it in day or night. A uh, little challenging in the daytime with the sun heat, but if you're good with the camera, you can pretty much seek out objects, animals, people, and differentiate them from the, the heat the trees give off. Okay. And that's so interesting uh, that you work with just, it's just you and someone else, correct? It's just me and a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> and my pilot, all he does or she does is fly. <laughs> Okay, so you're the only medical person. Yes. Yeah. How has that been for you? Like, what has the rest of your career looked like prior to this? Like, going from working with a partner or working with a department to being by yourself? Right. Uh, super challenging uh, in the sense that, uh, obviously, like any flight paramedic, we've started out on the ground and uh, did our time on the ground, and I did... Uh, let's see what I do. Uh, two years as EMT and then three years as paramedic uh, with a ground 911 service. I started with a county-based uh, EMS service and then I uh, transferred over to the dark side and did a uh, fire-based EMS for a little bit. And uh, it was interesting to see both uh, ends of that spectrum. And uh, I got this weird opportunity one day uh, through LinkedIn of all places to start uh, flying fixed wing for an international medevac company that flew uh, out of my local area in South Florida. And they did a lot of Caribbean medevac, uh, mm. cruise ship transfers, things that were really awesome. And I had never heard of it. And I uh, got to fly on a Learjet. And uh, it sounds a lot more luxurious than it is. Learjets are uh, basically like Ford Ranger pickup trucks that fly. Um, <laughs> but it was a great opportunity. And uh, I got to take that. And I did it as a part-time basis uh, until they were like, hey, we want you to work here all the time. and you know, basically be here full-time and uh, really cool schedule. And once I got into flight medicine a little more, uh, I figured out what you could do as a medic and decided to take some courses uh, 
with a company called IA Med and get some more critical care knowledge and build on that 911 knowledge. And uh, that was eye-opening in itself. And once I did that and got my uh, FPC, I was like, I'm ready to, I got the rotor bug now. I want to I go heavy into this critical care stuff. And uh, again, found another weird opportunity. This one was on Indeed. And um, it was a position way out of my, uh, you know, area that I'm used to. But it paid well and uh, had paid travel. And I was able to work two weeks on, two weeks off. Um, you know, with a major air medical company, and it was in uh, New Mexico of all places. And um, it was a great uh, opportunity, and I got to work rotor and some of the fixed wing assets there. And, um, you know, working for a big company like that, and uh, we all know who Air Methods is, you get to work other areas too. Um, and it was pretty exciting, and definitely got the love for the, the rotor aspect of this job. And um, eventually, I knew I wanted to work back home. And, um, Somehow got lucky, found this opportunity with the sheriff's office and went to an interview and there was about almost 200 people in a room and they went through us throughout that day, a couple day process. And somehow out of all of that, I came out as number one and didn't even know anyone there or just did something really well <laughs> and got this opportunity. Um, and it, it was extremely challenging at first, uh, not only being single provider, but also me not having a law enforcement background and having to run these law enforcement calls. And, um, you know, we're Air One, we're the lead unit on these, these law enforcement uh, calls, whatever they are. And um, that was quite a, a learning curve for me as well. And working independently, um, I didn't feel ready to do it at first, but uh, obviously I got cleared from training, jumped right in. And it's been amazing to see what I am capable of and uh, still things that I don't even know or things that I need to work on as well. And um, really the biggest thing for me has been education with my ground crews, uh, my service. And I think a lot of people probably have this challenge, but uh, my ground EMS service is a lot of new people, a lot of young people, uh, brand new medics that are pretty inexperienced, but they're hungry to learn. And they're very easy to train, very easy to talk with. And um, the best part is uh, if it's a really critical patient and uh, assuming the medic doesn't weigh like 300 pounds, I can take a uh, rider with me. And uh, we have headsets for them and get them all set up and train them on the basic aircraft safety, uh, obviously, before we take them with us. And uh, I will take a medic with me who's not flown before, but usually will want to fly after that experience. And so I don't always have to do it all by myself. But <laughs> yeah. So how did you once you got that position from that 200 people interview, what was the process? And did you have to go through Sheriff's Department and um, go through that um, portion of it to be able to fly with the sheriff's department? Yeah. So how my agency does it now, some places will have you go through a whole sworn uh, law enforcement Academy, which takes about a year, I believe in most places uh, we do it right now, civilian. Uh, a lot of our pilots are also deputies. Um, so at least one of us is on there as a deputy. And really that's only for the, uh, the PC, the probable cause when we find something in a ground unit, doesn't see it. When it goes to court, if there's a deputy involved, it actually can go somewhere. Okay. Uh, if we're all civilian, it goes, it gets thrown out. <laughs> okay. And how important is the public relation part of it um, with the ground units that you have? Most of it's on the job <clears throat> and it's training with our uh, camera system, which is called the Westcam our uh, mapping system, which is called uh, Churchill, uh, pretty much have an overlay of all the maps. It's like a moving Google Maps that's 
connected to the aircraft and it talks to the Garmin so our pilot also knows where to fly. Because with these law enforcement missions, they're ever changing and we are changing addresses, putting in different addresses, different street intersections. So it's basically like a Google Maps that then talks to his or her Garmin. So they'll know where to fly and it, it all makes sense. It somehow all communicates with each other and it, it's amazing technology. Um, yeah, pretty much awesome. months of uh, that TFO training and heavy on that. And then just the uh, law enforcement radio etiquette, very different from EMS. Mm -hmm. uh, they talk in 10 codes, which EMS has always been plain language. Uh, so got to know all those 10 codes and uh, pretty much just the terminology of law enforcement was so different. Okay. Uh, so six months. And once you're done with that and you clear, um, you'll do a lot of ride-alongs with the uh, ground law enforcement units, which was also pretty eye-opening too. Um, they work so hard and uh, unlike EMS, they don't get to take naps during the daytime which was, <laughs> or nighttime, which was, I was like, wow, where, when's nap time? <laughs> well, there isn't. <laughs> so, we do enjoy our nap time, that's for sure. <laughs> we certainly do. Uh, whereas the deputy sheriffs, yeah, nap time's not like a common concept for them. So uh, just learning the basic culture of that and then uh, everything else, uh, doing those ride-alongs with them was eye-opening. So that was the extent of my uh, law enforcement training. And for our unit, it's pretty sufficient. They don't uh, have us be sworn or do anything to that extent yet. Okay. Yeah. And I know for me, coming from the nurse side, we, we partner with the paramedic, which I love that yeah. portion of it because they have the pre-hospital experience. We have the hospital experience. But coming into being from a nurse from a hospital into EMS was very difficult for me because I'm used to having a whole team that backs me up with a physician, <laughs> anything, you know? So even going from that to being a team of just two people or three people, including our pilot, that was really hard for me to really learn to trust myself in the decisions that I was making. And I can imagine that's got to be challenging just being a single provider, you know, making those decisions, really medical decisions all fall on you. There's no one and yeah, having worked with new nurses, you know, throughout the private HEMS companies that come in and it, it's quite a uh, learning curve for them. I, I think the nurses struggled more than the new medics, the ones that I've seen run through and they get it, but definitely there's a longer training phase for them and a, a lot longer for them to be comfortable. And I think in this role, it takes at least a year to get comfortable, if not more than a year. And uh, for me, it took a while uh, getting very, very comfortable uh, in that role in itself as well. Um, really what helped a lot was continuing up my education. <clears throat> you know, one thing with this, and everyone says it, is the education doesn't stop. And uh, it's such a cliche saying, but it really is true. It doesn't stop. Things are ever evolving. There's different concepts to learn. Uh, you really do have to keep learning. And uh, really a big part of it is get to know who you're working with too. Uh, these ground crews, you may not interact with them more than 10, 15 minutes, <laughs> you know, in a week. Um, but get to know all of them, invite them all over to the hangar, start getting to know who they are, because I realized my job became a lot easier when I was not only comfortable with who I was working with, but also friends with them and mm -hmm. able to have kind of a different interaction. Yeah. And now, they, you know, they all love me now. I have like a little fan club of certain people that I, I know if I'm working that day, I'm going to be called because, yeah. you know, they're not just coworkers now they're, And, you know, we may work for different organizations, but they, they see me as a friend and, you know, someone to also look up to as well. Yeah, I think that's super important. Um, you know, the public relations that we have with these ground units, that we are involved in these super stressful situations, like really taking the time to 
even if there's a lot going on, explain what you need done and explaining why, like we'll make it that much easier for your interaction the next time. It does. And I think like a lot of them are really looking up to you and us, you know, to really be in those positions one day. So what's like some advice that you give some paramedics that are looking to get into the flight uh, field one day in their career? Yeah, it took me a while to hit me that uh, people are actually looking up to me, but I've slowly figured out this past year working, you know, in the role that I have that, wow, um, people really are looking up to you and we kind of got to be the best role model I can be. And yeah, I just think about it more now. I'm like, oh, let me make sure my flight suit zipped up nicely and just <laughs> be the best absolute role model I can be not only for my agency, but for the people that, you know, want to be me in a few years. Uh, really, uh, best advice to give, and there's a lot of advice and to probably go on about it for three hours, but um, really it's getting your foundation in um, 911 because um, paramedics have a lot of different roles they could enter into. You could do a uh, you could do a hospital, you could do private uh, IFT transfers, you could do just fire-based um, without transport. There's a lot of avenues you could go. And definitely whatever your first EMS job is, uh, if you do want to fly, stick with just the 911 transport, uh, whether it's private, uh, third service, uh, government-based, uh, even fire-based, but make sure you're on a transport unit um, for those first three years doing uh, you know, heavy 911 calls. Uh, even if it's a rural service and you're not busy, you can still learn a lot, but make sure you're getting at least a sufficient call volume to see different patient populations and then also able to work somewhere that has protocols where you can kind of expand your role a bit. So definitely start off on 911 and keep on that for at least three years. And then I would say probably a year and a half in, you should probably start looking at critical care concepts and how you can expand from just knowing 911 to a little bit more of that and not necessarily taking tests or classes, but start divulging into critical care material, see what's out there, because you'll kind of realize now that you're comfortable with 911 a year and a half in, that there's a whole other world to uh, this pre-hospital. And that's a big one with it too. And uh, networking, 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 I think that's a huge, uh, huge concept. Um, if you do want to fly, meet your local flight teams, uh, see what they're all about, hang out with them. Most programs will do ride-alongs, things like that. Uh, connect with them and just be out there, be a face they recognize because uh, we remember those things when it's time to interview. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And that's what I tell people too, because I think a lot of people get hung up on like, well, what are the qualifications? Like, what do you need? What are the years or the certifications? But I tell them, you know, we are in such a field where it's having all these certifications, but really a lot of what matters is just having as nurses anyway, that bedside time with yeah. these critical acute patients so that you learn to critically think like those are things you can't teach people how to critically think, you know, certifications don't give you that. It's really having that bedside time and running those 911 calls, like you said, and oh, it I is. tell people it's also your personality, like always, no matter what you're doing and where you want to be, show up professional, be professional with the other people that you interact with. And like, people are always looking at you for a possible interview in the future. So it's really how you interact with people that matters to now. Um, so I, I definitely agree with everything that you've said. Yeah, that's the thing. Anytime you're interacting with someone that, you know, EMS is definitely a small uh, world uh, in its sense, and everyone's going to know each other in some form or capacity. And it's kind of always like a rolling uh, interview. 
as stressful as that can be, it doesn't have to be stressful, but just something to be mindful of that you're, you're constantly in an interview state. Yeah. And it sounds like you've been through a lot of interviews um, for the different positions that you've done. Um, when people talk about or think about interviews, a lot of it, a lot of times it stresses people out and they can't <laughs> convey like really the person that they are, the clinician that they are. So what's some advice that you can give to people who are trying to get into like a higher level of care, whether it's critical care for medics or flight who end up being on this panel interview um, and get nervous about it? Like what's some advice that you can give them for these interviews? Yeah, definitely. I've been through plenty of them, you know, through private services, government services, uh, ground, air, fire-based. And uh, as strange as it is, almost all of them are the same. And they're not the same material-wise, but they're the same process, same concept, usually exact same amount of time. And you're always going to be asked questions about your previous work experiences. And it's just about, I guess, prior to your interview, kind of look over your career what have you done so far? What's something that you've done to impact your agency in a positive way? Uh, write it down on a piece of paper. Uh, what's something you did that had a positive outcome with a patient? Write it down, see what you answer, what your answers are, kind of almost rehearse them. Um, here's a big one I would ask. What's a conflict you had with a coworker that you were able to resolve amicably? Uh, write it down. You've probably had plenty of them over your career. Figure out the best one that makes the most sense that ended well, uh, write it down kind of study it a bit. So this way, when you're asked that question, it's not a surprise and you're not saying, oh, for five minutes, because even though you know that experience, it may take a few minutes to think of it too. And then um, really asking other people uh, in the field, uh, not so much for interview answers, but kind of how their interview went, what they thought about it, you know, what questions were asked, because a lot of the same questions are always, always going to be asked. And it's best just to not be worried about it, kind of rehearse it a little bit. And then when it comes to the clinical component of questions, you will be asked questions you don't know. Um, I could get interviewed today by a big company and I'm sure I'm not gonna know every single question, even my, in my experience. Could I curve the answer to make it seem like I know? Maybe, but then if they go down that rabbit hole a little more, <laughs> I'm down a hole I can't get out of now. Yeah, and what I always tell people is there's a lot of scenario-based questions, right? For there is. these interviews. <laughs> And I always tell people like, we all do things differently. Like if I was to run a call with, with my partner and then another team ran the exact same call, we would do it differently. We all would. Outcome in mind. So it's like, they're not wanting to know X, Y, and Z. They're wanting to know like what you're thinking about it, talking out what you're thinking about is, and why are you doing the interventions that you're doing? You know? Exactly. Yes, yeah. I live near the final approach near airports. So I got someone flying over me. <laughs> that is a big component of it. Yeah, it's not so much. There is almost with the scenario questions, there almost is no right answer, especially with the personality questions. It's more about seeing where your head is, what your personality is, how you kind of cope with a team in a team environment and how you handle and can adapt to adverse situations. And yeah. are you quick on your feet about it or do you stumble and fumble and, and can't adapt to things quickly? Um, really, it's about that personality. And do you have the, you know, what it takes for flight? Because flight is very unpredictable. Things change constantly. And you have to have a great personality where we all work long shifts and you have to be able to mesh with your nurse or your medic and also your pilot. Yeah, I always say like it's where it's 90% mental. Like it you is. 
really have to have a good relationship and friendship with the people that you're working with so that you have a trusting bond between each other to go through what you go through. You do. Even if you have disagreements, like we do at times, you know, but um, teamwork is so important. It is. And we're all, <laughs> there's so many type A personalities and uh, you will always butt heads. And um, we all think we are <laughs> the greatest at some point. And uh, you will have disagreements about uh, treatment modalities, uh, even differential diagnoses, but hear each other out, see where you're coming from more times than not, unless someone's really out in left field, you're going to have some sort of agreement on where to go with the patient and where they're going to be going. Yeah. And it's great that we can have both people or, I mean, I know for you, um, you're a single provider, but in the past, I'm sure for you to bounce ideas off of. Um, to know that you're kind of thinking about it in the right direction. I love bouncing ideas off because now I don't have anyone to to bounce <laughs> off of. So yeah. I'm just trusting my intuition. Yeah. All right. Last question for you. What is um, some advice that someone's given you, either a mentor or a preceptor um, sometime in your career that uh, has really propelled you and helped you um, move to where you are now? Yeah, I think a really big piece of advice and something that was said to me that didn't, uh, you know, really hit me till kind of recently was that nobody got to where they are uh, in a position of leadership or a position of influence uh, without the help of others. Can't do it by yourself. Someone got you there. Someone set you on the right page to get there, right track. Uh, someone propelled you into getting to that. And I do want to eventually be, you know, in some sort of a leadership position, uh, whether it's with my agency or a different one and something I kind of strive for. And uh, it really stuck with me because um, especially now working with so many newer ground personnel and watching them grow into amazing providers, uh, I do everything I can to help certain people. And uh, I've gotten probably I think like six people now uh, hired at my agency that had reached out to me through social media of all places, yeah. uh, interested in, in working for my ground service. And uh, I've helped them the whole way with the interview process, testing process, and, and, you know, getting cleared through the FTO part now. And, you know, I always tell them, I, this is a mentor I wish I had. And uh, not only wish that I had, but I was lucky to have a few. And there's probably like six people out there, you know, right now in my life that I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for them. Yeah. Uh, they put me on the right track. They gave me the right career advice and they got me to where I'm going and basically give it back. Anytime you get a chance to see someone that you can help or uh, improve their career, improve anything that they're doing, uh, give that back because all that great karma, all that great energy eventually comes back to you. And uh, you never know who's going to be in charge of you one day. <laughs> That's the truth of it. Yeah, I love that because I think about, you know, when I first started as a nurse, you see all these nurses that have been doing it for 10, 15, 20 you years. Do. You're like, I can't wait to be there one day. And then you wake up one day and you find out like you're that person now, you know, it, it happens very quick and suddenly and you don't always realize it uh, while it's happening. Yeah. And we all have had great mentors and ones that maybe weren't so good who didn't really want to be doing. Yeah. So I love that idea of, of you need to help others, you know, get to where they want to be as well. Yeah, you do. It, it's really the best thing you could do because uh, really the more you help others, you, you kind of in turn also help yourself out too. Yeah, for sure. It's very valuable both ways. Well, thanks for being on today. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. Oh, I appreciate you having me. And uh, anytime you want to have me as a guest on again, I am uh, ready and more than open to. Well, thank you. And if people want to get a hold of you or find you, uh, what's a good way that they can find you? 
Yeah, a great way to find me is uh, well, come to any airport in Florida and I'm probably landing there <laughs> at some point during the day. Uh, otherwise, you can find me. Uh, I love getting followers on social media on Instagram. It's at Medic Stefano, M-E-D-I-C-S-T-E-F-A-N-O. And uh, I'll be ha more than happy to follow you and you could shoot me DMs and uh, ask any questions, career advice. And uh, if you're even local in Florida and want to stop by, we're always open to visitors and uh, come take pictures of the aircraft. Awesome. And we'll put that link in the bio too, so that people yeah, can. Yeah, please do. I appreciate that. All right. Well, thanks for being on today. Really appreciate it. Great. Thank you for having me. Stay safe. Stay healthy. You too. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. I really loved his message this week of uh, being a good role model and being a good friend and that everything that we do out in the public and the public relations that we have with all of the other companies and entities that we work with matter so much to the business and the patients and community that we take care of. So if you're ready to level up in your career and make some decisions, you can find me on Janessa Dean coaching Instagram and I will talk with you guys next week. Bye. If you're ready to make a change today or have a better work-life balance, you can find me at Janessa Dean coaching on Instagram. Link is in the bio for a free consult.